You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al-Sayed. And on this weekly talk show, we invite experts to take us through their journeys as professionals in their fields. If you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them in the live comment section and we'll get to them during the show. Um, first, we wanted to let you know that we have our Inspire platform, which is a question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community um, as, a rise, as rising professionals. You can ask uh, for great advice from the professionals in our communities. And as mentors, you can give advice to our community's future professionals. And our guest speaker today actually will be part of this, um, the Inspire platform. So it's available through the Moja app on Android and iOS. And we wanted to also remind you that Emoji Games Special Edition is coming up uh, July 31st to August 1st, 2021 in Richmond, Virginia. For today's show, our speaker is Maryam Jamal. She's a business immigration lawyer, newly licensed um, Canadian immigration lawyer based in Toronto, and has worked with seasoned and prospective entrepreneurs acro across the globe. Um, she emphasizes the accessibility and access to justice in her academic and professional career, and recently graduated from the University of Windsor Faculty of Law. There's a lot um, that Maryam has to offer, so we will hear a lot from her today, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Maryam, how are you? Wa alaikum salam, I'm doing well. How are you, Fatima? I'm good. Uh, I'm very excited to have you because you have so much advice for people. Um, and there's a lot of things that during our pre-interview I was surprised by, um, you know, nature of law, of law school and being Muslim within this career. And also just, you know, trying to keep that ethical grounds right um, throughout. So can you tell me how you got into law in the first place? Sure. So um, I'm a first generation immigrant in Canada. My parents came here um, in the 80s and 90s respectively. So um, within my immediate circle in Canada, we don't really have any you know, legal professionals. With that being said, my mom had completed a law degree in Lebanon and um, her uncles on her side and uh, some family members as well, uncles on my dad's side had also had a background in law. So it was always something that was in kind of my sphere of knowledge um, and I don't remember specifically why but I remember vividly at 12 kind of setting my mind to wanting to be a lawyer now did I know what it meant to be a lawyer at 12 is debatable but I kept finding myself coming back to it throughout you know the rest of my uh, high school career and into university as well it was just advocating for different issues was something I was very passionate about and so mm -hmm. naturally law was you know seemed like the the quickest or rather the best fit um, for what I was passionate about so um, throughout university you know your your worldview and your you know vision sort of expands to what else there is you're learning a lot more you're broadening your perspective and your horizons mm -hmm. so through university when I started to get a better understanding of what I wanted and what careers were available and what things were on offer I did kind of go back and forth I wasn't really sure if you know law was really the best way to do with my life what I wanted to do which is mm -hmm. you know to help people and I know it sounds kind of you know, counterintuitive that that's where my mind went, but everything I was hearing about the field of law and how law is practiced and, uh, you know, all the representations of legal professionals were um, 
not necessarily the most favorable. Um, and so I was, you know, rightly worried that I was going to invest all this time and energy into something that is completely different than what I wanted to do with my life. But was it from yeah. like community or was it from uh, people who had been within the field? Was it from like professionals, prof professors? Um, where were you getting um, that information? It's like a combination of things. Um, I remember distinctly, um, you know, there is a lot of misperceptions about what it means to be a lawyer and what lawyers actually do within mm -hmm. a lot of our communities. You know, there's, you know, the whole lawyers are liars. Um, <laughs> A phrase that keeps circling, which, you know, could not be farther from the truth. But there are, you know, another thing that stood out to me was um, at a pre-law society event, we had, um, I say we, but they had brought over a lawyer to speak. And one of the things he had said was um, to be successful in this career, to actually, you know, like law school and enjoy your career, you have to really like reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, at that stage, I was like, you know, I'm not opposed to reading and writing, but that's not what I... It's not all you want to do. That's not all I want to do. I can't, like, I couldn't really imagine that my entire life, we're talking careers are like 40 plus yeah. years, right? <laughs> to just spend 40 years reading and writing and highlighting seemed um, like from the furthest thing that I wanted to do. I really want to work with people and be more impactful um, in the issues and in the, the the issues that I was really passionate about and really want to change or bring change towards. Mm -hmm. So I put it out of my mind and then by chance an acquaintance of mine um, towards the end of my third year posted on Facebook that she'd just been accepted into the University of Windsor. Um, for law school. And I didn't know that Windsor had a law school. So I took a leap of faith and I checked, um, I checked what they had to offer. I checked the program and um, I was very pleasantly surprised and something just clicked in me. Like it was a very outwardly uh, social justice and access to justice um, based program that they offered. They really paid a lot of attention to those um those issues where a lot of other law schools while they, while they had you know extracurriculars and like different opportunities where you can get involved in in social justice and access access to justice it wasn't necessarily a school mandate so mm -hmm. I was really really attracted to that and it was something it was like a feeling I had inside that this is the law school I really want to go to like I think between my like I applied to different law schools but um I kind of knew that this was really the only law school I really wanted to be at. And yeah. alhamdulillah, I <laughs> applied and I did my LSAT. I submitted my application and alhamdulillah, I got in. Best three years of my life. Um, <laughs> What's the application process yeah. like for um, listeners? Okay. I think, uh, I don't know if it's different between Canada and US. So um, if you want to give us that Canadian uh, perspective sure. of what that process is like. Sure. So frankly speaking you don't have to have a specific background in anything in particular to apply or get into or be successful in law school or even a career in law i had friends who'd done um their majors their undergraduate majors in um the arts i had friends who'd majored in english literature physics engineering um you know i was a humanities social science major so it you know your background provides you with different strengths that will play a part in, in your journey and in building yourself as a professional. Um, but basically, 
you know, I think it's pretty standard across the board for North America or for, you know, at least the US and Canada. It's the LSAT, your GPA and your extracurricular, co-curricular mm-hmm. um, activities slash CV. Now, there is, there has been a um, sort of rising shift and it is, you know, I would say start, it started out with Windsor Law. Windsor Law is very holistic in their application process. Um, you know, usually when you ask someone for advice about, you know, what do I need? What's my checklist of things I have to do or have to like check off to apply successfully and get into law school? It will usually be, you have to have a very, very high GPA. You have to have like an insanely high LSAT score and you have to have some background experience working at a law firm in some capacity and like reference letters from partners at firms um, to really be a competitive candidate, which could, you know, be true, very well be true for different places. But for me, I had no background working in law. Um, I'd never worked in a law firm before. I um, my LSAT score and GPA were alhamdulillah they were fine, but they weren't like my God ten top percentile of the scores. Um, and to be honest, I I did get creative with my application. So instead of looking at like okay here's point blank the quickest you know example of why I would be fit for the field here's a law here's where I worked at a law firm I kind of broke it down and looked at what are the skills. Um, that I would need to be an effective law student and Mm -hmm. lawyer. And so I broke it down into categories, Um, you know, as an academic, I'm going, it is at the end of the day, you're going to school, right? Um, I want to be able to showcase my, um, you know, what I'd done academically. So for me, that looked like um, I'd worked on several peer reviewed journals, undergraduate journals, I'd had some of my work published. So I highlighted that I, you know, really want to highlight my interpersonal and communication skills, because, you know, a very large part of what you do in law is talk to people, you know, Mm -hmm. people are coming to you with problems or issues, and you need to be able to communicate. And, you know, absorb the information they're giving you and be able to strategize and more importantly, I would even say is reassure them and empathize with them, right? So Mm -hmm. interpersonal communication um, was really important. Leadership skills, you know, when you're strategizing, when you become a lawyer, the more seniority you have, the more you're likely to be the one who's setting the strategy and making the decision. So you want to be able to show your leadership and your teamwork skills. So I broke it down that way. And I looked at the different experiences I had. And I tried to categorize it in terms of what experiences helped me develop each of these skills that I believed that I needed um, to be a good lawyer um, that I could demonstrate to the admissions committee. So again, none of them were legal experiences, but I really drew on those different things. I'd been involved in different undergraduate um, uh, students unions uh, or student societies. I'd worked, uh, I was actually a resume <laughs> advisor at one point at mm-hmm. uh, University of Toronto. So I drew on that, you know, my ability to synthesize and like um, translate information um, into specific formats in specific, more legible and digestible ways. I worked with a nonprofit that really focused on, um, you know, what was important to me was. Uh, uh, it was called Mosaic Institute. So it really focused on appreciating the mosaic of cultures and experiences in Canada um, and what those experiences look like for mm-hmm. people from different backgrounds. So I focused on those things that I was passionate about and <laughs> put them all together to build this sort of on paper um, 
explanation of who I was or who I wanted to be. And I said a little prayer. I ran it, my friends and I ran them by uh, each other and we just sent off our applications and Alhamdulillah um, got in and it's been a great journey since. I love that it's not like you are showcasing that it's you don't necessarily have to have that particular experience that they tell you that you need before you get into law school or you need to have this and you need to have that. You can draw from your own experiences and sort of, uh, you know, that shows, I think, skills of being a good lawyer, persuade them <laughs> into accepting you. <laughs> right. And that's um, I guess that's like test number one, right? Yeah. Can you persuade them to accept you? Now, don't get me wrong. It probably <clears throat> like if you have no exposure to what it's like to work in the field, mm -hmm. it may be a good idea to get some exposure ahead of time just so you can really get an idea of what the day-to-day -day is like right mm -hmm. um because it's not like suits it's not as like fast-paced and like dramatic as everyone necessarily makes it out to be or portrays it to be so it's a good idea to get um more information more knowledge about what you're getting yourself into what you're committing to mm -hmm. but with that said you don't really need at least in my opinion you don't need that to be able to get into law school Moving on to your particular field. So you're a business immigration lawyer. What does that mean? And why did you choose to be a business immigration lawyer? Sure. So uh, business immigration, it's sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's helping business people or businesses um, come to Canada or transfer employees to Canada or start up businesses in Canada um, or I guess wherever they are. I'm sure it's also business immigration in the U.S. Um yeah, for economic and business related reasons. So um, this could include entrepreneurs who have an idea and they want to launch it in Canada, seasoned uh, business people who want to expand or set up a new business in Canada. It could also be businesses in Canada wanting to transfer employees or individuals from abroad to come to work for them in Canada. It's, um, it's very much an economic angle more so than a, a humanitarian um uh, and, and social justice sort of based angle than um, in the way that it, uh, personal and refugee law is, um, which is interesting because I think I, I initially went into law school wanting to practice immigration and refugee law. A lot of the um, classes I'd taken, the courses I was um, you know most active in and most enjoyed mm -hmm. and the initiatives I um, kind of supported and wanted to be involved in and was involved in were around refugee law right and this was we were talking around the time where Canada really re-upped its commitment to resettling Syrian refugees so it was also like a very hot topic uh if you want to call it that and there were a lot of opportunities a lot more research a lot more um there was a lot more attention being paid to it from different angles from a legal angle from a policy angle from a non-profit angle there was a lot of opportunities and interest in seeing this move forward so that's what i initially because that's what my experience was and coming from an, a background again as a first generation immigrant i wanted to be able to do something that paid sort of homage to that but also mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity to give back um so i went to law school wanting to be a personal and <laughs> immigration and refugee lawyer um, and that's what I started off with at the firm um, that I started with in my first uh, year. Mm -hmm. uh, they were practicing immigration, personal immigration refugee law, and they hired me back for my second summer and my articling term. And now I'm, I'm with them full time. But over the course of the, that sort of three, four years, they 
switched um, or they refocused their their attention and their energy on business immigration as their specialization. Mm. And, you know, I was there was a moment where, you know, they offered me to continue on with them. And I was like, I thought to myself, you know, this is vastly different than what I had initially wanted to do, you know, is this like, am I just looking for job security? Is this really what I'm interested in? If I say no, am I closing doors to myself? You know, am I, I had to have that conversation, but I took a leap of faith again. I seem to, I do a lot of that. Um, I kind of took a leap of faith and I, I decided, you know what, it doesn't hurt to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something new. It's something new to learn. It comes with its own skills and knowledge and that's never a bad thing. And alhamdulillah, I tried it out and I actually, quite enjoyed it and I really enjoy working for my firm as well um which was also a um helped me make my decision I guess um and it helped me also reframe the way I thought about access to justice and Mm -hmm. you know social justice work Um, that's actually my next question you know how did you fulfill that desire to help people through business immigration because when you look at it like you know business okay so how are you helping people really right Mm -hmm. I yeah, think that was so, one question uh, you had for yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is I is can I still be helping people in the same capacity in the same way that I want to? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really like it actually sparked a really important conversation internally for me. Is that why do we look at access to justice just within like legal aid or poverty mm-hmm. law? You know, there are there's always conversations about how you know the cutoff the the financial or economic cutoff uh, or income rather cutoff for legal aid is so low that people who are in the lower to middle class um, category cannot access it even when they really need it. Mm -hmm. So there are other ways that you can help, but more more so as well is what I found working in in business immigration is that yes, money talks, but um, discrimination is also pervasive no matter how much money you have. Mm -hmm. It still, like it's not like a free pass if you have money to invest in the country, like, oh yeah, come on over. We still find that there are some areas and there are some, um, sometimes depending on the nationality, the the place that people are applying from, they do have, you know, getting an acceptance for them or getting- um, It's harder a good yeah or or like an approval or or, you know swift processing for them is more difficult than others whether it's you know it's more prolonged processing time it takes longer or they the way they look at applications is you know materially literally vastly different um Mm -hmm. from the attention they pay to an application from you know let's be honest someone from the us or the uk or australia or other kind of western countries right Mm -hmm. so we do see there is there is still that need for advocacy and this is still a group of people who are unfamiliar with the system who want to be able to you know set up a better life for themselves whether it's because they want to move to canada or they just want to expand their business to be able to you know it's their freedom they have the freedom to do that right so Mm -hmm. um there still is a need for it um and you still have people entrusting you with essentially their lives you're privy to a lot a lot of information from yeah. you know there are something as materials like yeah there there are personal identification their finances um you know they confide with you about a lot of different aspects of their lives um because they trust you to do that work for them and you know reciprocally as well on the other side is it's not a bad thing to you know 
to be building this kind of skill set, you know, just because I'm not working directly with personal immigration, I'm not actively helping the members of my community bring more people over or, or what have you. Um, it's still, it, I'm still experience. It's still an experience and it's still something valuable to offer. You know, our mm -hmm. communities, especially younger immigrant communities or newer immigrant communities are full of businesses, you know, independently run, independently owned businesses. Um, and there's a lot to be said about the ways that you can provide a real service to your community mm. in, I guess, more obscure capacities, whether as a corporate lawyer or, you know, criminal or employment law or civil or whatever the case may be, you still have something to offer. If nothing else, then you have an understanding of how to read and interpret and share the law, right? Mm. Um, and you're not limited to serving your community by your career. Maybe the path you decide to take gives you more financial freedom to be able to donate more to your community. Yeah. Maybe it provides you networks to help, you know, people in your community access the resources and access um, professionals and systems they would not have otherwise had access to. It's a lot of, you just have to take that moment and expand the way you think of your, your role within society, within your community, within your profession as well. Mm -hmm. Um, going off of that, so work-life balance, um, mm -hmm. and specifically, I want to get into, like, as a female, as a Muslim female, you know, um, like, generally, in our religion and culturally, we, I mean, I chose my career based on, you know, how much availability I'm going to have for my family later on, right? Um, so, was that something that went through your mind while choosing this career, and how easy is it for um, a female, um, a visible Muslim woman to be working within a law firm in this country, these countries that we live in, you know, uh, this, the Western society. So mm -hmm. there's like a two-parter. Yeah, I think, um, I think every job, every profession has its challenges. I think, mm -hmm. uh, the legal profession is definitely one of the more, um, demanding of your time. Um, with that said, I don't think it's impossible to develop work-life balance. And I think it is a matter of, um, first of all, you need to know what your priorities are. And, you know, by all means, they're subject to shifting over time. That's totally fine. For me, I kind of, you know, wanted, family is a very, very big part of my life. Um, and I did want something that would allow me a little bit more flexibility, both in terms of my workday and otherwise, just flexibility in general, um, so that I can balance those aspects, right? Um, whether it's, you know, just with my parents and siblings or later on when, inshallah, if I get married and have kids, it's different considerations. And, you know, again, priorities will shift over time. Um, yeah. it's, it's not impossible. It's... I think a large part of it is finding the right workplace for you. Mm -hmm. There are definitely going to be workplaces where it's very high volume and like intensive and you need to be, you know, you're just by virtue of the work you have, you'll be expected or and need to put in a lot more hours to get the work mm -hmm. done. Um, and there are places that are, you know, a little less high volume or have a more a manageable workload or more um, flexible schedules and understanding um, about, you know, people's different priorities and commitments, you know, work is mm -hmm. important, but work isn't your life, right? Yeah. Um, whether you have a family or whether you have kids or not, it's important even just for your mental health to like really take a step back and yeah. de-stress before diving back in. Something so you mentioned before yeah. also is like establishing boundaries from the get-go. Um, yeah. I think that's 
that's something that's a little difficult, right? Advocating for yourself and establishing those boundaries. If you want to expand on that one a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's, you know, that was actually going to be the next thing is that you have to, wherever you are, it's, it also comes down to how well you can establish your boundaries and, you know, boundaries look different for different people. If you are willing and you have the time and you want to commit to doing more work by mm -hmm. all means, but if you want to create that balance for yourself, you need to, as difficult as it will be as, you know, potentially the newest or least experienced person on the team or in like the firm, you need to be able to put boundaries. And mm -hmm. I, I've actually found that the most difficult part is actually setting boundaries for yourself. You know, um, it's very easy to just assume I need to do more. I need to do X, Y, Z for the firm to, you know, want to hire me back or want to keep me on or want to give me more responsibilities or promote me or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. When in reality, um, it's more so like there isn't that inherent expectation and you need to be able to place limits for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is an exercise in itself. It's always, I feel more easy, much easier rather to advocate for other people than it is to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And it's, it's just a skill. Especially if you're new and you're still just starting yes. out and you feel yes. less um, secure in your job, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's something, it's just something that will get easier with time. And as you grow more confident in yourself and your abilities and in your value to the team, right? You may be the newest person, but being the newest person also means you have fresher ideas or you can look at things from a different perspective and be able to identify um, areas that need improvement, whatever the case may be. If you weren't valuable, they wouldn't keep you. At the end of the day, it's a business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, be confident. It's, a, it's gonna be a learning curve as is every new aspect in life. And, you know, start early, start setting those boundaries. So you lay a good and strong foundation for yourself. And if honestly, a workplace isn't working for you, move on. Worst mm -hmm. case scenario, you still have a, a license, you have, you're a lawyer, and you can set up as a sole practitioner and have all the flexibility that you need, right? So easier said than done. But <laughs> yes, of course, easier said than done. But it does give you like, it's not the end of the world if you mm -hmm. have to move to something else. Yeah. We have about four minutes left, but I really want to um, bring up a crucial issue um, that you spoke about during our pre-interview, which was the nature of um, law school or being part of, you know, that environment, um, even for, you know, people going to journalism. Uh, I can speak from my own experiences. A lot of the culture uh, going into internships or going into um, different sort sorts of uh, social settings, I always had to limit where I could go and what I could could do. Um, so I think uh, for you, you had to experience that for those three years of law school. So can you tell us a little bit about it? And how can someone who is Muslim navigate this environment? Yeah, I think for the most part, up until we reach like grad school, we're more or less sheltered um, from having to make those difficult decisions, to be honest, uh, or being having to uh, navigate these kinds of um, situations because I you know through most of undergrad it's like the environment is very non-alcoholic right it's like just mm -hmm. a principle the school doesn't serve um no school functions serve or what have you and then you enter the undergrad the the graduate sphere where you know everyone's of legal drinking age and you know it's it is one of the pastimes and you are confronted with the fact that a lot of the ways that people build you know, personal and professional networks between themselves and build relationships with each other is um, 
through networking events or, or socials at mm-hmm. pubs or bars or with alcohol. So, um, and you know, some people are okay being in that environment as long as no one, you know, asks them to drink and some aren't, you know, I'm not comfortable being at a pub or a bar. So it is again, like it is, it has its own, um, not struggles, but it is its own dilemma to kind of work around is like, mm-hmm. how do you build your own networks? And how do you build these relationships that are supposed to carry you throughout the um, throughout law school, and then into the legal field as well, these become sort of the people who refer others to you or who can refer you to jobs or whatever the case may be? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you build those, you know, relationships when those core um, activities that other people are engaging in, you're not, you're choosing not to engage in. Even in um, terms of like, uh, like future job prospects, meeting for dinners, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's- exactly. <laughs> you know, you're at a firm, you're waiting to see if they're going to hire you back or they're going to invite you back and they want to go out, you know, for drinks on a Friday night and they build like, you know, one of the big things always is no matter how, you can be a very, very skilled person, you can be very knowledgeable, but one of the things that there are definitely any workplace, not just in law, is going to look at is how well do you fit into firm culture? How Mm. well do you get along with the team? Um, And it is, you know, it is a little bit of an uphill battle to kind of um, assert yourself in those ways. Yeah, yeah, maintain your own and assert yourself and say, you know, I'm a fun person. Yeah, we can definitely hang out, we can have a good time. But I'm not going to engage in those kinds of activities and I will be missing out on that like Friday night drinks or whatever they want to do. Um, does that make it impossible to move ahead and, 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 you know, advance your career? No, not, not at all, but it does kind of force you to be a little bit more creative in the ways that you build connections. And it does, um, it does get you thinking a little bit about, how you want to navigate and how you, you know, throughout law school, but also throughout your career, how you want to navigate. And again, it's one of those things where it's the best thing is to start early and just lay down your boundaries and your convictions and values early on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you set people up to compromise them from the beginning, it'll be harder to walk back. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting, I mean, you're um, living proof that it is possible and you can get, yes, get po- through this. Yes, it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, even if it is a little harder, but you should stay strong, um, to your morals and your, uh, your, mm-hmm. you know, ethical standing, you know, law is all about yes. ethics. So if you yes. can't stay true to your own ethics, then what does that say about you within your professional career? Right. right? Right. And people will be looking at things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, they'll be looking at who you are as a person because that also becomes, you know, you are your career. You are your own, a reflection of your own reputation and your own um, career. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a license is sort of like a personal brand. Yes, you'll be hired and you'll work with firms that have their own reputation, but you're also building your own reputation within the profession. You know, as you go along and you become more well-versed and you interact with more people, people are going to know you. And so you have to ask yourself, what do you want people to know about you? What do I want people Mm -hmm. to know and associate um, with me when my name is brought up or when they think of me, you know? Um, not to say that you should live by other people's standards, but it is important to know what you want to project and what you want to share with the world in that way. Mariam, it was lovely speaking to you today. What is your final piece of advice for our listeners before we wrap up? My final piece of advice is honestly go for it. Mm 
it has its own challenges, whether it's, you know, go for it no matter what you, you're passionate about and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it seems like an uphill battle, even if you don't necessarily have the same amount of resources or networks that, you know, others around you or others in the field do, that shouldn't be a barrier for you. You shouldn't let that be a barrier for you. And alhamdulillah, it's a global network, right? Like you can reach out. I'm available if anyone wants to talk about what it's like, um, what that process is like, what, you know, the field is like, reach out, um, build that network around yourself and push through. You are as deserving and as suited for any profession as anyone else. Even if no one has done it before, even if you don't see yourself there yet. Thank you so much, Mariam. Thank you for having me, Fatima. It was our pleasure. Uh, you were just listening to the Umentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the Umentor website under prior talk shows. And you can listen to the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify if you missed a show. Emoji for our. Emoja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.